7.03 on a Tuesday. I forgot it was Big Band Tuesday. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford & Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Welcome back, North Star. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Also, as always, Halford & Bruff of the Morning, Hour 2, Presented by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. To the phone lines we go. Very happy to have our next guest on the program as we get prepped for the opening week of NFL action. Our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, Mike Tannier, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? It is just 55 hours away from kickoff. 55 hours. Weeks and days and months of speculation, and it's almost here, and I can taste it, and I'm doing phenomenal. Yeah, I'm so excited because yesterday and Sunday, I was thinking these are going to be the last Sunday and Monday for a while that there will be no NFL action. We are now going to be a virtual bevy of football over the next little bit. It gets started on Thursday night with the Bills and the Rams. we got a lot to get into here, Mike. It's going to focus a lot on the quarterback position. I like what you did over at uh, (laughs) Football Outsiders is that Mike ranked all 32 Backup quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, this is actually something that... Where did you put Seattle's two backups? Yeah, right. This is something near and dear to Seahawks' hearts because this, of course... Because one of them's starting. Yeah, that's right. Um, With regards to the rankings that you did, how did that Seahawks quarterback room and situation play out? I don't have the article up. I believe they were eighth or eighth and ninth. Right. uh, Or or ninth. And they were combined. Gino and Drew were combined into sort of one smushed-together human. Um, and, and the idea is there's a type of quarter, backup quarterback who can get you through a month. Like, if you put him out there for a month, he will not embarrass himself. Eventually, the league will figure him out and destroy him. But he's got a couple of weeks where he can play well. Gino kind of showed he was kind of sort of that last year. You know, he, he got a win here or there. He beat the Jaguars, et cetera. Drew Locke in the past has been that kind of guy, more of a big ups and big downs guy than Gino, who's just going to dink and dunk for you. But both of them are quarterbacks who could get you through a couple of weeks. And the problem with the Seahawks, of course, is they've got to get you through 17 weeks because there is no starter. So maybe if they take turns, they can do three weeks at a time looking semi-competent, and then you can switch them. And maybe that's what Pete Carroll has in mind. I know that Pete Carroll's DNA is winning football games and getting better and getting competitive. So I get that publicly he's going to say all those things, probably until he's done coaching football. But I was looking at some of the comments that he was throwing out there sort of as regular the preseason wrapped up, and he's saying, you know, one of the quotes was, we've been averaging 10 wins a year for the last 20-something years, going all the way back to his USC days. So kind of reiterating, this is built into his DNA. And then he said, you think I expect anything different than that? No way. So I look at this, and I appreciate the fact that he's optimistic, and he's got energy, and he wants to be a competitive football team, but... I look at a quarterback-driven league, and you've got basically, like you said, two mashed-up backups. I just don't see how this plays out anything other than a five- or six-win season in Seattle. I, I agree, and the Football Outsiders Almanac agrees, and we have them in the five- or six-win projections right now. And you know, Pete Carroll is one of those guys like Bill Belichick who believes at this point in his career he has a little bit of, don't question me, I know what I'm doing. And there's a, there's a truth that Bill has more of that, uh, but Carroll has a little bit of, like you said, don't question me, I'm doing what I'm doing. Part of that is don't question me if I take a year, not to tank so much, but to just sort of blue sky you and tell you what you want to hear while I wait for CJ Stroud, while I wait for, uh, uh, you know, Young, while I wait for uh, somebody else to come through the, 
the, the ranks here at quarterback. So there's a little bit of that. You know, Bill Belichick when Brady left was like, trust me, trust me. Jared Stidham and Cam Newton, trust me. And it was just, it was just him taking a withdrawal from like his years of experience and saying, just let me do this. Could be a little bit what Pete Carroll's doing, putting a big front on there, but saying, look, I'm going to be rebuilding my offensive line and other stuff this year. You know what we've got at quarterback. I know what we've got at quarterback. Let's fix some other things and see if we're in position to get Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, et cetera, et cetera, in 2023. What did you think of the Russell Wilson uh, contract extension in Denver? <clears throat> you know, it makes sense. I really looked up and down their roster. It's a lot of money. But they've also put a lot of money into some other young veterans who aren't going to go anywhere. Yeah. He's going to be in there with Cortland Sutton for the next couple of years. He's going to be in there with the same left tackle, Garrett Bowles, for several years. So they've been doing some pretty shrewd financial maneuvers there. So on the one hand, in about three years, he's going to be, Wilson's going to be almost 40 and really expensive. But when you really look at it, that money is pushed forward. So this year, next year, next year, the Broncos can field this team and see if this team's a Super Bowl team. And it's certainly better than what they've had in the years past. So it certainly makes sense for him. It certainly makes sense for them. And it's going to keep Russell Wilson happy, which I think is tantamount to their uh, needs right now. I admittedly didn't pay a ton of close attention to the Denver Broncos preseason in one part because it's the preseason, but the other part is it was at times too painful to watch. Uh, I'll throw you on the spot here. Did you get a chance to watch much of the three or four weeks of the Broncos preseason? And if you did... How did that offense look with Russell Wilson steering it? He didn't play. He did not play at all in the preseason, which uh, the, uh, uh, Nathaniel Hackett is one of those Shanahan McVay coaches who doesn't put the starters out there at all. So that's why I watched very little of it, because I didn't need to see Brett Rippon and Josh Johnson competing for the backup job. What I heard in practice was that that offense was out of sync. I was watching the, the, the minicamp news coming out and my friends in the Denver media, and early on they were talking up the defense, talking up the defense. Now, the Broncos media has been talking up the defense since the day Peyton Manning retired, but they're not supposed to be doing that anymore. And so like, as the course of the things moved on, it sounded like Russell Wilson got more comfortable, got more comfortable with Cortland Sutton and some of the other receivers there, and you know, other guys got healthy, which was part of the thing. So I don't know what to think. If, if I was a rookie coach and I had a brand-new quarterback and this team had been – the quarterbacks had been like, like, like pitching machines for the last six years, I would have gotten them a little preseason action. But when we see them on that Monday night, that's the first time we're going to see them, and uh, we're all going to find out together just how in sync Wilson is with that offense. Mike, do you have a better question to ask or, or, or one? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, was, I, I was going to ask about Lamar Jackson and that's his, his situation in, in, in Baltimore. Uh, do, do, do you think the, the Lamar Jackson is going to get his contract extension before the season starts? No, I think it's, I think that the deadline is like sort of now. I think that this is like the, the deadline when both sides, when Jackson and the, and the Ravens want to say this has to be shut down. I hear the Ravens put another offer on the table. I don't know if, jo if Jackson accepted it uh, or rejected it or if it's in his inbox waiting for him to look at it or waiting for him to send to whoever is doing this for him because he doesn't have an agent. I don't know. I think that Jackson and the Ravens can play through this season without being, it being a distraction. But I know the Ravens would like to move some money around so that they have a little more flexibility, and they can sign him to a huge contract while relieving some, some cap uh, problems this year. And I know Lamar Jackson is in his best interest to get some long-term money because he is a smaller guy who scrambles a lot and could get hurt. I don't know why this didn't get done. I don't think it's going to be a big story moving forward, but I know both sides, it would be in their best interest if it had gotten done. 
Uh, sticking with the quarterback position, I've got this one accurate. Mitch Trubisky named the starter uh, in yeah. Pittsburgh over Kenny Pickett. Was there any real surprise here? I'm not sure how much of a shot Pickett legitimately had to start We won anyway, but yeah. it feels a little bit unexpi- uh, you know, uninspired going with Trubisky, but they still made the call yesterday and named him a team captain on offense. Yeah, I think what was odd, I, like, I think it was in late May, I said, you know, Mitch Trubisky is the starter. Kenny Pickett will not get a real opportunity. Uh, the only surprise was Mike Tomlin kind of went back on that. Uh, somebody asked him, well, is the quarterback position up for grabs a couple weeks ago? He said something like, we'll see, or like, it could be. He made one of those remarks. So, we, you know, we all shook our shoes a little bit. Can, uh, Trubisky is the logical choice. He is more ready. This is a team that can win games with their defense, with their ability to do yak, you know, and, and short passing. So he's the most logical choice. Kenny Pickett made a few nice plays in the preseason. His preseason was a lot of helium. There was a lot of, it was the fourth quarter uh, against the Broncos with their whatever string in the game, or excuse me, it was the Seahawks, excuse me, uh, with whatever string was in the game. And he like, you know, threw a couple of touchdown passes, et cetera. So I don't think that Pickett is ready. I think this is a logical choice. And I think this is a choice Mike Tomlin really hoped to make and planned to make as of like, you know, May 3rd after the smoke had cleared from the draft. Hey, Mike, who's going to play more games for the 49ers, Trey Lance or Jimmy G? <laughs> it's going to be Trey Lance. We've milked this Jimmy G return thing for everything. I saw the story yesterday that, that Trey Lance was mildly annoyed. Yeah, I saw that, that too. Jimmy yeah, yeah. Oh, he was mild. Oh, my. Stop the presses. Somebody was mildly annoyed. If that's the level of drama and soap opera, we'll be fine. Uh, Mike, excuse me, Kyle Shanahan does not want Jimmy Garoppolo out there. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is too excited to run back out there, although he'll take a couple of wins that could turn him around and give, give him a new job next year. It's Trey Lance's job to lose, and he'd have to lose it severely. He'd have to get injured or play really poorly because Shanahan, Lynch, the entire organization is invested in Trey Lance. Why did it pan out this way then, that, that Jimmy G is back with the 49ers? I think that the 49ers knew from the day J- Baker Mayfield was traded that that was the last place. The Panthers were the last place that would have looked at Jimmy Garoppolo. They knew something like this was yeah. happening. So they, they Especially if Seattle wasn't going to do it. If Seattle wasn't going to do it, and it looked like Seattle was never going to do it. They were never going to find a price. There was nobody out there offering a second-round pick or a third-round pick. There were teams that might have offered a seventh-round pick. And uh, Lynch and, and Shanahan say, well, in that case, hold on to them, lose them during free agency, you get a compensatory pick, and in the meantime, you've got a backup quarterback who, in an emergency, can come in and run this offense. So they spent weeks simultaneously making sure that Garoppolo wasn't a story by keeping him out of camp and negotiating the, the pay cut that, that Garoppolo pretty much had to take so that he can stay there so he can get a payday next year. So I think that they were doing a lot of like message management with Garoppolo for the weeks leading up to this, knowing that there was not going to be some magical trade coming through the front door unless some starting quarterback got hurt, and they were probably holding out for that. So we've got the Thursday night kickoff between the Bills and the Rams, which is a terrific showdown. We mentioned we got the Sunday nighter between Brady and the Bucks against the Cowboys. We've got Russ back in Seattle on Monday Night Football, uh, all the way falling down to fourth on that power ranking list of intriguing storylines. you got Baker Mayfield back up against the Browns as well. So there's a lot to look forward to this week and this weekend, and we're excited to get back after it. And, Mike, we're excited to have you back on the program. Thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy all the action this weekend. I look forward to doing this again next Monday. Absolutely. Take care, everybody, and enjoy some football. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So I I just want to say something um, to those people that might be 
a little bit upset that summer is coming to a close. You, you can feel it in the air. It's Not getting me. A, it's getting a little colder. Um, the uh, it, it was raining a little bit o- over the weekend. Beautiful. Uh, this morning, uh, I, I I woke up and like I was like, ah, should I still wear shorts to work? I did, but I was chilly. Mm-hmm. Um, the sports sports is back, baby. To those like, people, sports, we say sports is so back. Like, think about what we could have in the next few months. So, obviously, this is a Canucks town, and I realize that they're always pretty much going to be the number one story. Yep. But they're going to be interesting to watch this season, right? Obviously. With this commitment that they made to JT Miller, uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on this team to actually be good this season and, and make the playoffs. Um, and they could be good. They could win games. We've already talked about this lineup. Is it perfect? No. Does it have some great things? Yeah, it does. Down the middle, in goal, you got Quinn Hughes, you got a coach that they seem to like. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be exciting. NFL, right? At least we're going to have this one big Seahawks game coming up in sure, just a sure. week. Yeah. Like that's going to be so much fun. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I basically said, like I told my girlfriend, I was like, I'm watching this game. Like, don't put anything on me at that time. Right, Sunday like, night, like or sorry, Monday night, Monday night, like don't, game, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. don't. This is like, like in terms of the NFL, if if there's one game I want to watch this year, it's the first game of the year for the Seahawks. After that, I kind of hope they lose the rest of their games, but I want them to beat Russell Wilson. Yep, there's a whole NFL season, right? Would you pick this over the Super Bowl? This game, <laughs> this one game. If you could, uh, if this you could year's only pick, Super Bowl, if you could only pick one. Knowing in advance, you have no idea what the matchup for the Super Bowl is going to be. If you have to pick, honestly, one, I might. You'd pick the yeah, Russell Wilson. Honestly, that's an I might. Yeah, that's an interesting now, question now, because now this the, is you, the thing with this is that you know what you're getting going into it. Yeah. You know the two teams that are could be. I'm not gonna lie. There's some Super Bowls where I'll, I'm, I'm going to watch re, like regardless. Yeah. But some matchups mean more than others, guys, and some are more intriguing. Guys, I just want you to know how much of a psycho X. I'm going to be about Russell Wilson this year. Are you going like, to get a bit, bit misty-eyed, do you think? N- no. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. I am, it's all I, hatred. Did you, did you just not hear me? I am a psycho act. They, they cry sometimes. Yeah, so. they do. Yeah, well, like, yeah, they, with, <laughs> yeah, but like with like a chainsaw in their hands, just, right. just <laughs> crying. Sometimes and, while holding a significant pet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is going to be like, people are going to be like, oh, you know, you loved him when you was with the Seahawks and now you hate him. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you, you've nailed it. Uh, so we've got that angle. Um, we've got the Jays and the Mariners and at the risk of jinxing both those teams, they're probably both going to be in the playoffs. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Watch they both miss now. Yeah, you but the them. Jays and the Mariners have never made the playoffs in the same year. That is correct. Because the only time that the, Mar- the Mariners had like that seven or eight year run where they were decent never made it to the world series but they had some good years they had mid to late 90s yep um and the jays did not make the playoffs and the mariners have the longest playoff drought do they not yes since 2001 in in pro sports pro sports all sports yeah in in in, well in north america yeah pro sports i can't i can't talk about the world but in north american major leagues they've had the longest i think the sacramento kings are after them uh mariners last made the postseason in 2001 that's then insane. the next longest one is the Sacramento Kings. Sacramento Kings. Yep. So 2006. We actually do research sometimes for this show. Occasionally. Uh, so we've got that angle. Um, we've got the World Cup coming up in two and a half months. And did you know Canada's going to be in it? Yeah, with the same kit that they've been wearing the entire time, apparently. 
What? They're not changing their kit? That's what the reports out there are. All the online leaks of what the jersey's going to look like. A lot of people are like, They're really hey. going in hot, aren't they? Like, like they're wearing the exact same kit. That's not even a change. All, so for those that have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Um, a what kit the, is a uniform. A kit is a uniform. Could you explain why it matters, though? Because, well, every time you go into a major international tournament, you release a new kit. Sure. It's, I mean, and it's all marketing and branding and jersey sales. I get it, right? Like, no one really wants to dare and rebel this thing. But it's exciting for the fans of the respective team because everyone goes out and buys the new kit and then wears it to the, the event or to the bar or whatever. So it's a big deal, right? And then, especially when you're representing your country, because it just has that many. It's not a club team thing. It's a big thing. So, uh, But the other thing is that everyone does it. It's become part of the cycle is that everyone gets excited mm-hmm. when the jerseys come out. Apparently, Canada is just going to go with the same. Uh, they've got the red, the white, and then the, the, the thirds, I guess, the blacks. Right. And uh, Nike kit, very simple. And apparently, they're going to go forward with it. So, yeah, it's that, that's a bit of a bummer. I mean, whatever. It doesn't I, matter. I honestly don't care about what they wear. The, the fact that they're there... Um, and we're going to have a World Cup in the winter, which normally doesn't happen. That's going to um, be the big game changer for me. But think about the, these next few months. Like, there's going to be so much fun. Like the BC Lions went out and got a, got a quarterback, Vernon Adams Jr., and we'll see how he is. Um, they want to host a playoff game. That is that is fairly clear. Like They're not satisfied to just say, well, we're 8-2, and two. we'll probably win you know, one or two and sneak into the playoffs. I think they really want to host a game. So they've got some big games coming up. Uh, they're in Montreal on Friday, but then they have back-to-back against the Stamps. Yep. Um, and that'll be huge because the Stamps are in third in their division. So like, you've got all this stuff on the docket coming up. It is going to be endless sports talk. And I think it feels like this year, especially with the World Cup being on, it's that added bonus of an already awesome time of the year for sports. When things and are, the Jays and the Mariners being in the playoff mix, right? When something unprecedented happens, it's you get really excited about it because you have no uh, historical reference to go back to. You'd be like, this is what it might be like. Or yeah. anything. So throwing a World Cup into November and December, where with the, Canada in it with the North America and and US, right? Yeah. With the North American sports schedule as packed as it is mm-hmm. in October, November, and December, it's going to be a sensory overload for sports enthusiasts. It's going to be huge. And, and I think go, just don't forget, uh, a NBA will be in full swing by then as well. Like you're going to have this sort of um, convergence of postseason baseball kickoff to the NHL season kick. And I'm, I know I'm using the wrong terms here. Puck drop on the NFL's NHL season. No, they're kicking it this time. Tip. Yeah. yeah, they're kicking it. Yeah, it's new rules. Yeah. And then, weird. <laughs> and then in the middle of all of this happening, you're going to have the, because the anticipation going into the World Cup is at least two to three weeks out, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're seeing guys that are either taking time off from well, the club teams or, you know, suffering significant the injuries. Engl- the England squad announcement is going to be interesting. The selection right? squad. Uh, yeah, selection the squad itself, it's huge, yeah. right? So there's all that. I heard Alfonso out. Davies might not make it. I think he's going to be okay. I feel like he might be okay. He's actually gotten off to a bit of a slow start this season. Oh, good. Yeah, and Byron's been a little, eh. I, well, I, anyway. I would add to all of that, the excitement, all of that, is that I don't want to jinx this for the world, but starting to feel normal again. Yeah. It's a big part of it, you know, for sure. You're able to go to a lot of these events, right? Mm. You see the crowds and the attendance, both inside and outside of the respective host arenas and venues. And it's, I mean, this is, so not only is it back to normal, but we're also getting that additional, whoa, they're throwing a world cup in the middle of this. Like there are times when we come in 
especially around November, December, and January. And the show is a layup. We're actually cutting things that we should probably talk about because we only have three hours and, you know, it's home of the Canucks for now, Sportsnet 650. And we're, you know, there's a certain emphasis on the sports that we always follow. Mm -hmm. So some get dropped to the wayside. Now imagine adding one of the biggest global events on par with the Olympics smack in the middle of a time where we're already dense and thick with sports coverage. Uh, we got a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line and thank you for all your texts. What a welcome back for the Halford and Bruff show. Uh, here's a text. Can you guys share your thoughts on the Miller contract? Well, uh, you can download the podcast because we spent pretty much all of hour one talking about the JT Miller contract, or you can just keep listening. Mm-hmm. I do have because, some JT Miller trade proposals I want to run by you guys. Uh, okay. Well, just let me, let me finish off here. Uh, we've got Elliot Friedman coming up in about seven minutes. So we're going to ask Frege. I, I know he was already on the station last week and, and has done some media about, about the JT Miller contract, but I also want to ask him about Bo Horvath's situation. Uh, this is the captain of the hockey team. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to sit here and say we thought the Bo Horvath would be a contract negotiation would be a slam dunk, but I think we, but I think we thought it would get done. And I think we, we thought that the Bo Horvat situation would be resolved before the JT Miller situation, unless JT Miller was traded. We haven't really talked much about Bo Horvat's contract. And maybe that was just because we assumed it would get done. Like he's the captain of the team. The The team has said they want to keep him. Horvat has said he wants to stay in Vancouver. You add those three, three things up and you're like, yeah, he's probably going to stay. But until he's signed now, and with the fact that the Canucks still need to improve their defense, so there are going to be people out there that are going, well, with Miller signed now, the most obvious trade chip that they have with value is the captain in, in Bo Horvat. So we'll ask Frege about that. We'll talk to Drance. Drance is coming up at 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And ah. I'm sure people will be very curious to hear Thomas Drance's thoughts on the JT Miller contract extension. So, Fridge, 7.30, Thomas Drance, 8 o'clock. And before we go to break, I need to tell you that Concerts West presents Pink Floyd's Roger Waters, September 15th at Rogers Arena. Get your tickets now at rogerwaters.com. Lots more to get to. Fridge coming up next. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Thirty-one on a Tuesday, Big Band Tuesday here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, Halford and Bruff of the Morning is also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, to the phone lines, we go. Very happy to have our next guest on the program from Sportsnet. It's Fridge Elliot Friedman, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Elliot? How are you? Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jason. 
So three guesses about what the majority of this phone call is going to be about. The answer, I'll just cut you off, is JT Miller. It has been the talking point in Vancouver over the last 72 hours. I know that you did some media locally and talked about the deal uh, as yep. it kind of unfolded. Now that we've had some time to let it sit and marinate and percolate and everything else, we've come up with a few questions. The one that I really wanted to ask you isn't necessarily uh-huh. about the contract extension, but the trade market that I feel never really materialized. Is it fair to suggest that the trade market was just not there for JT Miller and the Vancouver Canucks on that open market? I don't know if it wasn't there. What I I think would, would have happened, Mike, is that it just, like, I don't think it really got to what, obviously it never got to anything like Jim Rutherford is not a guy who's afraid to make trades, right? Sure. He, he loves doing it. It's, it's, it's very clear to me that he didn't get what he wanted. And the other thing that's clear to me based on <clears throat> what we saw with this deal is that I don't think Vancouver was that interested in the futures deal. I think they, like, like it's when, when you sign Miller to this contract, you are sending a message that you want to be in the race. So the other thing I look at when it comes to a potential JT Miller trade is they wanted to make a deal that would keep them in the race. And I just don't know how many of those were out there. Um, So do I think that it meant that they couldn't make a trade for Miller? No, I, I don't think it meant that. I just don't think that they could make a deal for Miller that they liked that would have kept them in the race. Cause clearly this is a message that, you know, like punting on the next, on next season, the next couple of years is not something they were willing to consider. How much of it was the temptation to see what this team could do with a full season and a training camp under Bruce Boudreaux? I think there's, there's, there's some of that. Look, like honestly to me, Jason, it's that, um, you know this whole thing, and I and I've listened to some of the conversation and heard and read some of the stuff coming out of Vancouver. It all comes down to you know what do you want from your team? What's your identity? What do you what are you expecting to be? And you know the Vancouver Canucks talked a big game about how we're going to create cap freedom and we're not giving long term deals to thirty year olds and and you know we're not going to do this and we're not going to do that. And it's easy to say until obviously decision is made that you want to compete. And I know that there are some fans who agree with that. I know there are some fans who don't agree with that, but you know, unless you're Arizona and you're willing to strip it for years or you're Anaheim, who's clearly at a point where they're going to say, you know what, uh, this didn't work. And now we're restarting. It's, it's much more easier to say that than it is to do it. And, what we learned last week about the Vancouver Canucks is that no matter what they've said about what they want to do, this is what they're going to be. And this is who they are right now in their existence. And it was really hard to see them. And as a team that could compete, if they were going to let Miller walk or, you know, trade him for futures or less than what would help them now. And the other thing too, I really do think guys is that, the market changed. Like a 30-year-old Huberto got 84 million, a 32-year-old Kadri got 49 million, and you know I, I just think that look, like 
The last time you guys went big out on the market was what? Louis Erickson at forward. And, you know, I, I like I, I kind of look at that and I wonder if internally some of the people who were around said, are we going to, if we're going to bet this kind of money, are we going to bet it on a guy we know yeah. or a guy we don't know? And I think that had a lot to do with it. JT Miller's personality, um, his competitiveness, yep. his fieriness. Uh, how much did that impact uh, the Canucks' willingness to step up and get a deal done for him? You know, like it's interesting. Like uh, I, I've liked my dealings with Miller. I, I've learned over the years that if you ask him a question, you're getting the answer, whether or not you like the answer. And but you know, and I kind of like that about him. Now I understand that being a guy who lives in Toronto. I, I deal with him a lot less than people do on a daily basis, including his teammates. You know, I, I've, I've heard the rumors that some of his brutal honesty or the way he does things uh, rubs them some people the wrong way. I've always had the belief that I would rather have somebody who cares that you've got to dial down than somebody who doesn't care that you've got to rile up. Um, and you know what? Like, you know, like to me, that's life. You're going to meet yeah. people whose personality ma- ma- matches with yours. You're going to meet people whose personality doesn't match with yours. I text to Kevin Viexa, it's the, like the most infuriating guy <laughs> all the time. Uh, you know, you got to make it work. Um, teams don't win when they're all bland. You need driven people. And if it goes too far... That's the job of the coach and the management to sort out. But I, I don't think you can win without guys like that around you. Well, Nathan McKinnon is a perfect example of that. But, yeah. you know, he, he's a guy that has been hard on his teammates. But I think what was interesting about McKinnon as well is that he admitted that he maybe needed to adjust things a little bit. He like, this is who he mm-hmm. is, but mm-hmm. also, you know, maybe pick your spots or just, you know, just don't it, don't. Don't have the attitude of, well, this is who I am and I'm not going to change, right? Like yeah. you do, you do have to, you do have to make certain adjustments. And I think we've seen a little bit from JT Miller. Like he, he's kind of admitted like, yeah, like it's something I do have to be aware of. Like it's a good thing overall, but maybe just, um, you know, adjust a little bit or, or be mindful of the times that you should do it. Um, but it all also leads me to the question of the actual captain of the team in mm-hmm. Bo Horvat, who is now uh, has one year left on his deal before he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Uh, I don't want to say that we thought this contract would be a slam dunk, but I think we kind of mm-hmm. did. And training camp is coming up and it's not done yet. What are you hearing about mm-hmm. Bo Horvat? Well, you know, for the overall, like, I, I do agree with you. I, the feeling I had going into the summer, Jason, was that, um, was that Horvat was going to be, I don't know if easier was the right word, but it was the one that was on track to get done and Miller would be harder. Um, at this point in time, 7.39 a.m. on a Tuesday morning in Vancouver, I don't believe anything is imminent with Horvat. However, the one thing we learned just last week about the Vancouver Canucks is that things can be dormant uh, for a long time, and all of a sudden the Canucks can say we're getting this done. And so I, I, I would be very wary of any bold proclamations 
simply because of the way this unfolded with Miller. But as of this morning, I don't believe anything is imminent with Horvat. Now, I've heard people also say out there, well, you got Miller done, you can't get Horvat done. I think that's loser thinking. I don't believe one thing has anything to do with the other. If you want to keep a player you deem valuable, you can always find a way to keep them. And don't forget it's another year until these contracts would kick in. I do believe it is Vancouver's intent to sign Bo Horvat. I do think that's what they want to do. I, I think the interesting thing is that last year they would they would get calls about Miller and they would at least at least listen. They would get calls about Horvat and they would hang up the phone. Um, I don't have any reason to believe that that's changed, but I would be curious to hear them say when they speak today, has anything changed on that? I still think my, I don't think anybody there needs to panic. I think the goal is to get Horvat done. I think they have the room to get Horvat done. But what it says to me is that it's been a longer process than I think some of us expected, which says to me that they're at a point where they're still not seeing value the same way. I, you know, Miller's number is obviously eight. I've got to think Horvath is going to end up starting with a seven. Uh, the, first part of, the, the first part of your answer there, I'm glad you brought that up because we made light of the fact that, you know, it was the, it was the Friday afternoon news dump and Jason was mowing the lawn and I was at a gas station in, in Merritt when the news broke and it caught a lot of people off guard. And I'm sure you were probably in the same boat that you didn't expect on a Friday afternoon to have this massive news coming out of Vancouver. But lo and behold, that's what happened. It's funny because some people have actually texted into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 asking, you know, yeah, it was a Friday news dump for sure and it caught some people off guard, but has a leak maybe been plugged or a couple leaks been plugged? Because it seems as though one story throughout this offseason, it's getting harder and harder to get information out of this organization. And when things do break, they tend to catch a lot of people off guard. Yeah, you know, one thing I would say is it's the summer and things are a little looser than normal. Um, and the one, and like I said, I think a lot of us weren't looking for Miller because it seemed to be going nowhere and uh, it turned around really quick. So, yes, I mean, they, they certainly, I admit I was surprised. I wasn't expecting that to come. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes throughout the year. Teams do try to protect against uh, people leaking. But as I said to uh, uh, Sat and Dan on, on Friday, you have, a, a, I don't even know what his title is anymore. Whatever Rutherford's title is. President of Hockey Ops. Nobody, nobody is a more master manipulator of the fourth estate than Jim Rutherford is. <laughs> nobody. Hey, Elliot, this is something we, we were kicking around earlier in the show, and it's Jim Rutherford's history with winning Stanley Cups with so-so blue lines. And I think yep. most people look at the Canucks and they say, that blue line, yeah, it has Quinn Hughes, but it's it's definitely not perfect. It's not the quality of Colorado's yep. or, or Calgary's. Uh, it doesn't have the depth of Calgary's. Um, but Jim Rutherford won a Stanley Cup uh, in Carolina with a pretty so-so blue line. And his first yep. Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh, Chris Letang played really well, but he added guys like Trevor Daly and Justin Schultz, and he added them for not a big acquisition cost. And the second Stanley Cup he won in Pittsburgh, yep. Chris Letang was hurt for that, so he had an even lesser yes. blue line and got it done. Now, the Canucks don't have Sidney Crosby and of Jenny Malkin, but I'm wondering if... Yes. His experiences in Carolina and Pittsburgh are are making him look at Vancouver's blue line and going, yeah, you can win with that. 
I, I would I would say the answer is yes. Um, I think the other the funny thing about that is I actually I remember this at the time. The second time they won against Nashville with Latang out of the lineup, that I believe is the first was the first time in NHL history a team won the Stanley Cup dressing defensemen in the final where no one had ever received a Norris Trophy vote. Right. And in 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 Carolina when he won, that was that team I think only had one Norris Trophy vote among all of them in their history, and that was Oleg Tevardovsky, who didn't even—I don't think he even played Game Seven. So, like that's like that's pretty amazing. To, like he had two great coaches there. Uh, one was Laviolette, the other was Mike Sullivan. And I think what Jim Rutherford would say is, if you can coach a system where people know what their responsibilities are. And yes, you have great players up front and really strong goaltending. You can find a way. Now, generally, I don't think that that is a blueprint that people would like to follow. But I would suggest that Rutherford would tell you, you could find a way. By the way, Jason, I don't believe for a second that you mow your own lawn. You hire it out. <laughs> oh, no, I do. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with it. It became a bit of a pandemic obsession. I call it Augusta North. Oh. Uh, but it, uh, it is not, it, yeah, but it hasn't been really panning out this year. I'm a, I'm a little disappointed. We had, we had so much rain early on and now it's been dry. It's been, it's been very difficult, Elliot. No, well, you know what? I can, I can understand that. Like I can understand the whole idea of doing it as a mental health thing. I think that's great. Um, you know, there was something else that you just brought up there with regards to Rutherford that I thought was interesting because we brought this up earlier in the show. You said maybe it's not necessarily, uh, the personnel that you have, but the way that they're coached and you alluded to what Laviolette did with the group there in Carolina and then what Sullivan did in Pittsburgh in the end of year media availability, uh, Rutherford did Mm -hmm. say very specifically about the way that the Canucks break the puck out and the way that the Canucks move the puck from the defense to the forwards and that they needed maybe a different style or more structure, less punt and hunt and less flipping the puck out. You know, as these thoughts kind of start to coalesce here, I do wonder if those experiences in Pittsburgh and in Carolina with that regard are ultimately going to hold true here because one of the biggest shockers from this offseason for Jason and I is that they did virtually nothing to that blue line. When we anticipated changes or even just straight additions, I assumed that they would mm-hmm. happen on defense rather than a forward. Now, maybe their hands were tied and they couldn't necessarily go out and do that, but maybe there is something to this where the improvements are going to come from within and are going to come from behind the bench with what the coach does on systems play and how that defense moves the puck. You know, the the thing about that is I do agree with you. Like, you know, it, it has been, I was actually thinking about this this morning before I came on, uh, Mike, it's that, you know, how different the message and the summer turned out to be in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. You know, the message was we're going to fix some things and, you know, or we're not going to pay big contracts or we're going to give ourselves some cap relief. And the opposite happened in all of those cases. And I think that sometimes that shows you the difference of making uh, bold proclamations and the reality. Like you take a look at, for example, across the continent in New York with the Islanders, you know, Lou Lamorello said they're going to make hockey trades and they're still, they still look the same. Sometimes you, you know, I remember years ago, Craig McTavish in Edmonton, you know, we're going to make bold moves. And, you know, it, it took a long time for any of that to happen. 
it's it's easy to go out and say things sometimes, but the reality can be a lot harder. I have no doubt that the Canucks tried some things. And to be honest, again, with Rutherford, I would say the same thing, that just because nothing's happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. He loves to do stuff. And I still do think they are looking for a defenseman out there. I mean, like I'd heard when, when Calgary was sitting there and they got Uyghur, and, you know, Calgary has, what, nine or ten defensemen on contracts right now, I'd heard there'd been some conversations between, you know, the Flames had reached out and said, what are you, or sorry, the, the Canucks had reached out and said, what are you doing back there? So, like, I don't think those are over, but sometimes it's a reminder that you can want to do things, but reality smacks you in the face and says, not so fast, or we're not so sure. Fridge, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Uh, we'll circle back as we get closer to the regular season. All right, guys. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Fridge. We appreciate it. That's Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So a few guys that I'm going to be fascinated to hear from and to watch at training camp, which is coming up mm-hmm. real quick. Um, Bruce Boudreau. My question to him would be like, what did you work on in the offseason? Because remember, he was almost given a homework assignment? Sure. By management? That. Yep, I remember yeah. that. Um, X's and O's, how are things going to change? How are things going to look? I think one of the things that was uh, frustrating um, Jim Rutherford at times watching the Canucks was that sometimes the defenseman would get the puck and have no real cl- clear plan of what to do with the puck, which is a problem. Sure, right? that you, is an issue. You want to have a system, right? And that, and that goes to the forwards as well. Where are the forwards going to be? Because the defensemen have to rely on the forwards. Breaking the puck out is so important. I know it's it's kind of boring to talk about, but it's so important. If you can get out of your end quickly, then the quick the quicker you can get into the offensive end and start doing good stuff there, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty basic hockey. Um, so I want to hear from Bruce Boudreaux. How different are the Canucks going to look system-wise, if at all? What has he worked on? What did his summer look like? The other guy, or another guy, because there are plenty of guys, Elias Pettersson. I keep coming back to him. And and this isn't just a this season thing. It's over the next few years. Elias Pettersson really needs to develop into a consistent, there's a word, consistent elite player. Elite two-way center. Do you remember the comparisons that people were making to Datsuk? Yep. They need him to develop into Datsuk. Someone compared him to Wayne Gretzky once. <laughs> Just that shot against the was it the Flames? I knew the moment that, the, and it wasn't just you. I knew the moment that that got uttered. I'm like, that's going to come up at some point later in a bad way with negative connotations. Yeah, okay, but but, but yeah, but let's not get distracted. Who cares? To your original point. Who cares? My 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 point is that he needs to develop into a superstar, and and Pavel Datsuk was that. Mm-hmm. Now whether he can, I don't know, but he's so important because listen. How many teams win the Stanley Cup without a really elite two-way center? We've talked about the correlation between Selkie winners and Stanley Cup winners. Yep. And no, how, yeah, how, we've how, done this exercise how very, before. You run through the list. How I, I very know. often a Stanley Cup winner, not all the time, but very often a Stanley Cup winner has a Selkie winner or a former Selkie winner on it, whether it's you know Kopitar or Bergeron or O'Reilly or Datsuk or whoever, right? Taves. Taves, yeah. Kessler. Well, wait, wait no, no, no. Yep. Keep going. Um, 
So can he develop into that? Because JT Miller, I don't think, is ever going to be an excellent two-way player. He's just not. Defensively, that's not his thing. And he said he wants to work on it. And credit to him for recognizing that. Bo Horvat, the same thing. His reputation coming out um, of junior hockey was that he was going to be more defensive than offensive. In fact, he's probably better offensively than defensively. Not a very good penalty killer. I don't know why. I, I have no idea why he hasn't developed that side of his game. I know he's tried. I know the coaching staff has worked with him. It just hasn't really worked out. So someone's going to have to do it, right? Someone's going to have to be that two-way uh, guy. And I think Pedersen, although he's not the big center, big strong center like a, like a Kopitar is, I think he's so like super smart defensively. Yeah, He just gets where the play is going. When he's on, defensively, he is very good. He's a good back checker. He just knows where to go. So that's something that he's going to have to bring into next season and be really good at. Mm-hmm. Another guy is Thatcher Demko. I'm always scared of heading into a season with like the the assumption that you don't even debate. You're like, oh yeah, Demko would be fine, right? Demko would be fine, and you know this is the case always with goaltenders. But Demko was so good last season mm-hmm. that. If you're just you just expect him to be that good again, fine, that's great. They're also going to need a, a good backup in Spencer Martin, who's played how many NHL games? Uh, not many, like ten. Fifteen. I've got. <laughs> it's it. not many. It's not many. I will tell you momentarily, my friend. And he's going to need to be good. Like that's another guy that I'm that I'm curious about. Nine. The answer is nine NHL games for Spencer Martin. I'm curious about how they look on defense in terms of are they going to move Quinn Hughes or Oliver Ekman Larson over to the right side? I don't know how that would affect the pairings, but you remember how they were the top four last year was Ekman Larson with Myers, and then Hughes with Luke Shen. Yep. Going forward, that's probably not not ideal. They might start that way. Where does Travis Dermott fit in all this? How is Jack Rathbone going to look? Could Travis Dermott move over to the right side? There are so many questions that I that I have that that are really just more ex- exciting for me because I love the start of a season because sure. there's so much of the story still to be told. And sometimes, actually often, almost all the time, we expect the story to go this way and then it goes to a completely different way. Yep. Like, remember last year, right? Like, did anyone have on their bingo card the penalty kill would kill them? Right, right. Like, well, I don't think I, I don't <laughs> think last year, and like no one would have expected what happened last year, right? And th- that was a very fundamentally altering season, right? There was a a massive, massive house cleaning in the midst of, and then an entirely new regime brought aboard, who then spent the better part of the back half of the season building out a whole new. Executive, like it was a big fundamental change. I don't think anybody saw coming, and that's why the anticipation, and in a, in a very weird way, the optimism is at an all-time high, and in large part because everyone starts zero, zero, and zero, and yeah. you know you've got the opportunity to win games, right? There's unbridled enthusiasm for what the future might have in store, and and the Canucks will be in that position now, in part because the Miller deal is done, and you would assume that the Horvat negotiation. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets done before the season starts. I before think. training camp. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if it gets done in the next week. Yeah, and I, like, I think that we're looking at it where you're going into the season and all the focus is going to be on the on-ice product, how the team is going to play, 
how the coach is going to reshape things. And then I think the Demko thing's really interesting as well because so much of last season's second half success was predicated on the fact that Demko might have been the best goalie in the NHL. We're up against it for time. We got one final hour to go. The final hour is going to go Drance at 8 o'clock and then what we learns at 8.30. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. Text to 650-650. That is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.